Hello everyone, my name is Yuxiang, and it's a great pleasure of mine to introduce to you the final episode of the podcast series for City Diplomacy. Today, I'm joined by Ronit to talk about the network of cities, organizations, and research centers called the Inter- International Observatory on Participatory Democracy, short IOPD. How are you, Ronit? Hey, Yuxiang, thanks for the greeting. And yes, what we're going to talk about is a very interesting and important topic. First, we're going to make an introduction on the definition of participatory democracy. Then we'll look into the network of the IOPD and its core functions. And finally, we'll make an analysis of its strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and some of the threats the network is facing. So what exactly is participatory uh, democracy, Ronit? How, how do we define it? And also, why is it important? Um, That's actually a little tricky, since there are so many different interpretations of the concept. Generally speaking, though, participatory democracy is about reimagining the role of citizens in governance, especially by increasing their opportunities for participation, deliberation, and um, their influence in the policymaking process. Mm, That sounds very fancy, but why are we talking about this now, then? Well, it's not per se a new demand, Scholars have been discussing for centuries already how best to design a democratic system. Um, But in the past centuries, most uh, democracies have tended towards a system of representation and the delegation of policymaking processes rather than direct democracies. Um, Although, of course, there are some exceptions, um, such as Switzerland. In recent years, however, many modern social movements have mobilized um, to demand more democracy and democratic participation such as in Hong Kong, during the Arab Spring, the Occupy movement, to name just a few. The internet is also playing an important role as it offers new possibilities for mass-based participation in the digital public sphere. Mm, I see. So citizens basically demand to be more actively involved and the opportunities are given. But what does it mean in practice? So far, there have been many different experiments with such processes, mostly on an ad hoc basis although they are slowly being institutionalized. As I said, participatory democracy is a broad concept. Some examples of what this can look like in practice are citizen assemblies, such as the one in Ireland, which is very well known as it led to the legalization of abortion in 2018. The citizen assembly in Ireland was made up of a representative, however, randomly selected group of ordinary citizens who deliberated over a year and a half over some predefined and politically quite divisive questions and ultimately gave a recommendation to the government. Another example um, which, of participatory democracy which has been implemented more often is that of participatory budgeting, where citizens get to set the priorities for the annual budget. This is especially common in local administrations. Another more broad way for participatory democracy is through referenda, Um, as we know them from the Swiss example. But of course, there are many, many more ways of how these processes can be designed in practice. Well, actually, I heard of a case from Barcelona that introduced a platform for citizens to use to share data, have uh, debates and give feedback to the city. Yes, that project is called Decidim. Um, It's really quite revolutionary as it is one of the first um, projects that uses civic technologies. Um, and tries a very ambitious participatory approach that cuts across different areas, um, mostly based on this online platform. 
Wow, that's really interesting. And I guess it really makes sense to look at this for,、uh, from a city perspective, as it would allow citizens to have more of a say about the space that they actually live in. I guess. Yes, but at the same time, there are still many challenges. Many of these pilot projects have also been criticized.、Mm. In the end,、um, there are still many different interpretations and disagreements of what good democratic systems、um, should look like and what the role of citizens should be. And even if we were clear on that, many administrations fail to effectively manage the high expectations that they raise when they engage in such processes to turn them into、um, also meaningful and responsive outputs. That's true. So what can happen is just like in elections, that only a fraction of citizens actually takes part, maybe because of self-selection or because of the general differences in political engagement,、uh, and participatory processes don't necessarily fix that problem. Um, the right way to represent and include minority groups is also still an open question in many of these processes.、Mm, that's why it is also really important to set some guidelines or criteria of what makes a good participatory process. I suppose. Yes, absolutely. And scholars have worked on this quite a lot.、Um, even the OECD published some standards to follow.、Um, the two most prominent features of participatory processes that were considered successful are. First of all, good process design, and second of all, accountability. So, good process design means that there should be a high level of diversity and inclusion when selecting participants,、um, clear standards of communication, and a connection to relevant decision-making areas, such as,、uh, for example, governments committing to really consider the suggestions made by the citizens. Right. They need to show accountability and commitment. Well, all of this means that such processes are very complex, huh? That's for sure. So yeah, participatory democracy is really about integrating the voices of the citizens more actively in the decision-making processes. At this moment, there are of course still many obstacles to overcome. Well, exactly, and to actually promote the concept worldwide at some more local levels, the International Observatory on Participatory Democracy, or IOPD, was founded. In 2001, with the help of a program by the European Commission to promote decentralized cooperation, and later on in 2006, it also started collaborating with United Cities and local governments, short UCLG. That is very true. So, Ushang, do you know what exactly this network IOPD has been doing? Well, of course, IOPD gathers cities, associations, and research units around the world that recognize the ideal of participatory democracy. The network attempts to optimize the practices of participatory、um, democracy at level, local levels, while projecting a bigger scheme to promote participatory democracy worldwide. It also serves as a sort of platform for the participants to exchange the experiences and policy recommendations. I see. In this case, it seems to me that the network also wants to become the world reference of the participatory democracy field. Exactly. Interesting. And what is the current size of the network? Well, at the moment, there are about twelve、uh, hundred members from over ninety-five countries, and over one third of the participants are in Europe, around one third in Central and South America, and almost another one third situated in Africa. That sounds like a huge network to arrange. Ah,、oh, it certainly is. In that case, the structure of the network must be really sophisticated. Well, first of all, there is the presidency, which contains two co-presidents. There are the local governments that hold the events of the network during the previous and the current year. 
its main function is really to hold the annual conference, and there is also the Secretary General, which is also a local government. It has a more administrative function, and it is elected for a three-year term. The Secretary General has to manage the web page, arrange the gather com、um, experiences and resources, and sort out the activities calendar, etc., etc. Well, in addition, the Secretary General is also responsible for coordinating with the regional offices and representing the network. Apart from these roles, there are also regional offices, promoters, members, and the General Assembly, which consists of the Presidency, the Secretary General, and the regional offices. And it's also the sovereign body of the network. And how do they finance themselves? Well, some network members, the so-called promoters, give financial contributions to the network. Promoters then also get to be a part of the steering committee of the network, which means they are cons、uh, consulted for strategic questions. And even though the network aims to be very transparent in its operations and publishes all of its background activities, it does not really report on exact numbers when it comes to funding and allocation of resources. Though that would be something to improve for sure. You mentioned that the presidency is in charge of organizing the、mm -hmm. annual conference. What is it about? Well, the conference is basically dedicated to forming the debates and dialogues on participatory democracy. It is also a platform for the members to share the experiences and the knowledge with each other. I see. But how did they do it last year? Was it affected、mm. by the pandemic? Well, yeah, indeed. Unfortunately, the annual、uh, the annual conference in 2020 was cancelled due to the COVID-19, and the last physical conference took place in、uh, Iztapalapa in Mexico. The 2021 edition is still currently being planned, and fingers crossed, the pandemic will subside and allow it to happen. Let's hope for the best. What other activities are there among the network apart from the annual conference? Well, the network also gives out a word for the best practice in citizen participation. It is an award that recognizes the public policies implemented by the local governments, and all members are able to make comments and vote in the first round of the selection. And after the first round, it will be up to、um, the jury of the network, which is made up of eight citizen participation experts from around the world, to decide who exactly the winner is. That sounds very interesting. Do you know some previous cases、mm -hmm. awarded with the distinction? Well, absolutely. For example, the winner from last year was an initiative in Buenos Aires, Argentina, to promote the children's voice in the urban planning processes. And in nineteen nineteen twenty nineteen, the winner was a project in Nareno in Colombia called New Government, which facilitates the citizen participation with the ideas of open government, social innovation, as well as collaborative economy. Okay, there is an annual conference, an award for best practices. Is that all the network does? Well, of course not. The network also facilitates smaller、uh, work groups that wish to work together on a certain topic. It hosts a number of、um, webinars and workshops, and very importantly, it also publishes research on participatory democracies, as well as, well as keeping the experience、uh, repository up to date. And to make it easier for administrations to really access information should they need it. That sounds like a lot of work. So let's have a look at the network's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Sure. I think one big strength of the network lies in the nature of its mission, which is to share best practices on participatory democracy.
Um, this is still a rather new thing for many municipalities to try, so it's great to be able to tap into the knowledge of others. And since participatory democracy is a rather apolitical and non-controversial topic, the IOPD can easily spread its message amongst local entities and build a global network without any political agenda of its own. Mm, exactly. I think it's one of the biggest advantages of this network, to be honest. Yes, and with the number of members that it already has, the platform for them to share different experiences with each other is quite large already. Yeah, that's very true. And besides, because most of the activities of the network function digitally, and because it has a very democratic structure, the network makes sure the voices of all the members are heard, which I find quite valuable. And it is also because it has been mostly cooperating digitally. Apart from the annual conference, most other activities could continue even during the pandemic. That's awesome and reassuring to hear. It's really exciting to see how the network will progress in the future. However, I wonder if the network can be, can be a neutral source when it comes to its publications on participatory democracy. In a way, it seems self-referential to spread participatory governance practices since it is in the interest of those engaging in it to declare them as successes. So I'm not sure if they're being critical enough to the possible drawbacks of such processes. Well, yeah, I totally agree with that. That's the problem. But without a doubt, there's no guarantee that participatory um, democracy is the best system to deploy when it comes to the decision-making processes. Right? Over-championing might lead to the introduction of processes that are not fit for the challenge at hand. It also depends on local administration's capacity to really implement the input from citizens and, of course, the national framework they operate in. I just hope that the network puts that into considerations when welcoming new members. I also wonder if the network has a quality control mechanism to examine participatory democracy of its members. True. In any case, participatory democracy does not necessarily promise good governance. If the network wishes to become the reference of, particip of participatory democracy for the world, they should really make sure that there are enough standards and thresholds for members to follow. A voluntary commitment might at some point also just be empty phrases. Well, actually, this is also an opportunity for me. We mentioned that the concept of participatory democracy is still quite broad. So the network can function to set these standards and define good practices. For example, through the practice of the uh, annual award, the network establishes a debate between all members on what a good process uh, for citizen participation is, and the independent experts also give comments on how to improve them, which they do by examining the extent of inclusion of marginalized voices or the effects of gender mainstreaming. Yeah, so the network can fill that void of clear international standards, especially if it manages to champion diversity while having quality control mechanisms. For which it still has some way to go. As we mentioned earlier, there are not many Asian members in this network, and as a Taiwanese, I feel like a bit left out, and I believe that the network can definitely become more inclusive with certain efforts. Yeah, that's a shame indeed. Perhaps it's because the working languages of the network include only English, French, Portuguese, and Spanish, without any Asian or other languages. I think adding some diversity and inclusiveness into the member composition will really help them foresee the agenda to promote participatory democracy worldwide. Yeah, exactly. But I do agree that network can really support innovation in the governance. They can indeed provide support to cities that are interested in adapting the structure because they have built up a large knowledge hub already. Yeah, that's true. 
I think it's also an advantage to have experts on participatory governance in local administrations, especially during our current time where there is a lot of democratic discontent. The pandemic actually created an opportunity for the network as well because there were many solidarity initiatives from citizens and civil society who emerged to activate communities in times of isolation. In Europe, for example, there has been a trend of short-term local participatory practices to include citizens in the discussion of the administration's handling of the pandemic, and many of these were indeed supported by the network. The key here proved to be a closer cooperation between civil society and local or regional governments, which city, with cities supporting solidarity networks or other platforms that organized neighborhood help or other services. Yeah, let's see if the network can leverage that kind of momentum and use knowledge it has built up over the years to support cities and, well, to turn these into sustainable governance practices, I hope. Yeah, and you never know if the momentum is also just a phase. As we can see in many countries, mm -hmm. autocratic and top-down governance styles are still a reality. Oh, exactly. It just seems a bit risky to me to think that the mechanism depends a lot on the willingness of the local leaders to continue the application of the participatory governance. And sometimes I ask myself how solid this network can really be and how we can maintain its sustainability. Yeah, that's definitely something that we should be following in the next few years. So, Usha, from what we have discussed today, how would you describe the role of the IOPD network in the field of city diplomacy? Well, I would say that although it is very important to be aware of the methodological differences between different participatory processes, it is super, super valuable to have a network such as the IOPD that brings together different experiences and assesses their um, outcomes. It could definitely do more in terms of critical assessments of such practices, either theoretically or in its members' contributions, and to reach out to different geographical regions. But um, overall, its democratic and transparent structure gives it a lot of, well, legitimacy in a topic that remains to date still underexplored. Well said. And this means that we have come to the end of our podcast. Yes, and thank you all so, so much for um, listening and goodbye. Bye. Music credits to royalty-free music from Ben Sound. <laughs>